Hi everyone, this is Brooke James. Welcome to The Grief Coach. If it is your first time listening, I'm so glad you're here. And if you've listened before, welcome back. Today we have with us Dr. Joshua Black, who is a grief researcher, speaker, consultant, online course instructor, and host of The Grief Dreams Podcast. Joshua, thank you so much for being here today. Well, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I think the space of dreams is generally very interesting. I don't normally remember my dreams. We're going to talk more about that. But if you could just introduce yourself to the audience and share your grief story so they know where you're coming from today. Okay. So, well, I got my PhD in psychology. Mm -hmm. And so I did all of my MA and PhD work researching dreams of the deceased or is, you know, part of it is called grief dreams is the overall term. And then also continuing bonds. And we'll talk maybe about that some more, but my story, you know, really came out of my own loss. Like many, I think people do when it comes to studying grief. From when I look back at my journey, I have to sort of mention that when I was an undergrad, I wanted to be an elementary school teacher. That's what I lived my life for. Like my dad always wanted me to pursue that career. A lot of times because I think he kept putting in like they had a really good pension and they made a decent amount of money and in Canada they, they do. So like, I, I still don't understand pensions too much, but, <laughs> but <laughs> that was the where, where I was going. And, you know, for me, that was it. Like I was volunteering, I was going to school to be that. And then he died in my fourth year, which took five years to finish my undergrad. Mm-hmm. And that changed everything. And so, you know, the story of, what happened was it was a couple of days before my birthday and he was going to take me to a hockey game and we just started to rebuild our relationship which was different than some of my other siblings at that time and because he suffered from a lot of issues in, in his life mm-hmm. and he coped with alcohol and he had a poor time regulating his emotions so you know a lot of the times we were afraid of him like in the house and, and so we never really developed that real bond and so after my mom and him separated we started to develop some sort of bond and that's what was going on at that time. Mm. And so he never showed up to pick me up and I didn't know why I thought maybe he just forgot, or maybe, you know, he was ill cause he sometimes got migraines where he just couldn't call or talk to anyone. And so two days later, I got a phone call from his sister. So my aunt um, saying that they found him, they had to bust his door down and they found him uh, dead on the floor. And when I heard that, like the amount of emotions that went through me, was absolutely insane. Like I've never felt that much pain. It was just mm-hmm. like, it was weird because they had that pain, but then they were like, it was something different too. Cause there's so much, there was a lot of, a lot of tears. And for me as a, a good male, it's something I hadn't done in a long, long time was cry. Mm-hmm. And so that also scared me cause I couldn't turn it off. It just, it just kept coming out. And then like the crazy thoughts that you have on like trying to memorialize them and like I was, re- I was ready to like drop everything, quit school and, and book a trip to Israel as like a memorial trip. Cause that was something that we were going to go on together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like lucky for me, I had a partner who <laughs> told me not to do that and to finish school first. And so after the, the eulogy, I, I, I did the, I went to the funeral, did the eulogy and that moment after the tears went off mm-hmm. and, but also when the tears went off, my whole life's kind of shut down in the sense that all the color came out of the world. Like I went back to school, I got good grades still. I went, I went back to work and did a good job there, but I had no feeling like there was no joy left in the world. 
And for me, I just thought, okay, guess this, this is what grief is. Because no one talked to me about, you know, how to deal with grief or what grief is. And so I just thought, okay, this is it. So I wasn't trying to change it. It was just, this is it. And so I went about three months there with just this living in this great world with, mm -hmm. you know, like nothing really mattered, but you still go on and do what you need to do to survive. And that's when I had the dream. And I wasn't asking for one but it happened. And this is why I say like this dream changed my life in so many ways. Cause I don't know where it'd be without this dream or probably still be living in that gray. And so what the dream was, was it was really, it seemed very different from most other dreams I've had and it was very vivid. And so I saw, I was in my, in the dream, I was in my bed and I, I saw him at the end of my, my room and everything in the room was in the exact same detail as it was in waking life. Which is very strange. Usually there's like a lot of like weird stuff going on in a, in a dream, right? There's an elephant sipping tea or something. But no, it was like everything was exactly as it was in, in waking life. And but when I, I looked at him, he looked so peaceful and so healthy, which was so insane to me because I've never seen him in that space before. I'm saying mm -hmm. he's very he always had this heavy energy with him with that trauma and everything. But here it's like just so he felt so light and loving. And so I walked up to him. I said, I'm going to miss you acknowledging the loss. I said, I loved him. And then we hugged and I woke up. And the crazy part was when I woke up, something changed. I could feel it inside me, something changed. And it wasn't because I interpreted the dream. The dream itself changed me. And I could feel the life come back into the world, like just like, just like that. And I sat, I remember sitting at the edge of my bed and just thinking, what was that? And how could it change me? Like, it's just, it felt, it felt like magic. It's just like, I wish this could happen like three months ago. Like <laughs> what, what took this so long? And then, you know, like what was interesting was when I, I had that dream and I just never shared it with anyone, which is the craziest part because it's one of the most important moments at that time in my life that I didn't want to share and I kept it hidden. And I went back to school and, and did all that. And I still didn't want to be a researcher. still didn't want to do anything with grief. I still went on the path and wanted to do the elementary school teacher thing. And then I, I got in and I turned it down and I didn't know why I turned it down. I still don't <laughs> tell you the truth, but there was just almost a knowing a best way to put it is just the feeling wasn't right. And I had to trust that it was a scary thing because I had no plan B, like it's always been plan A for me. Mm -hmm. And so I turned it down and that was another scary time in my life where I didn't know what to do. And so I picked some jobs up here and there but you know, at the end of the day, it wasn't providing me any kind of meaning. And then, so I decided to volunteer with the bereaved. And that's when things started to change because they started asking these questions on these dreams of the deceased. Why haven't they had a dream? Why are their dreams negative? You know, what does this dream mean? Is it common? All these questions that I didn't know the answers to, I only had positive dreams of my dad at that time. So mm -hmm. when I looked at the research, there just wasn't anything there that I could provide them. And so at that moment, I had a choice and I, I wondered, could I research this topic? I never wanted to be a researcher and it scared, mm. scared me to <laughs> Why? so much because, okay. well, because I never was trained to that. I never wanted to do that. I didn't want to like learn, you know, research methodology and never wanted to learn really statistics. And so to go into a field where you're supposed to already be trained in that area, that's a huge learning curve. And it was scary, it was very scary for me. So I said, mm -hmm. okay, I'm gonna face this fear and let's say all I can do is try. And if I don't get in or if I fail, at least I tried. 
And you know, lo and behold, I succeeded, but without a lot of thoughts of quitting. <laughs> and so I made it through, which was great. And, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of support from people who've had these dreams have, and my friends and family have really helped me pursue and, and persevere some of the struggles uh, that I went through. And also, I think, too, like just trying to make meaning for my loss was another big uh, point for me to actually succeed. Mm-hmm. So I have so many questions because I'm very into, I'm very curious about dreams, especially dreams about someone you've lost. As I mentioned, I hadn't, I have not had a ton of dreams about my dad. I've had some, but I also normally like wake up and it'll be like, that was a super weird dream. And then like two seconds later, I have no idea what it was. So we'll get into some more stuff about that. But if you can kind of talk about just to levels at the audience of like what dreams are as it relates to like our processing of what's going on in our lives. So dreams reflect our waking life. And so that could be a lot of times like how we're feeling in waking life, the issues we're going through. And so when we look at our dreams, what research has found is these sort of correspond to that in many ways. And so if you're angry or if you're frustrated with some aspect of life, you're gonna have more negative dreams. And so those feelings and emotions will basically start being processed within your dream. And sometimes it's very passive where it's just like processing it. Other times it's actually very active and it's problem solving in many ways. Mm-hmm. And so you can sort of see this with, you know, there's some people that actually invented significant things you know, from their dreams. There's even like the Beatles. So Paul McCartney wrote a couple songs because of the dreams that he's had. And, a lot of books been written too. So there's a lot of things that can actually help you work through a lot of the issues too. So it's like digesting almost the feelings, but also um, providing you insights, new insights that maybe you can't, you wouldn't have done otherwise based on the limited perception of how you see the problem where dreams mm-hmm. are good in the sense that you're the boundaries of how you can think is sort of lim- um, eliminated and you have a, a larger playground to work with. Mm-hmm. So that's the the big thing about these dreams, I will mention that, you know, 10% of the population doesn't remember dreaming, even though they are. And so we're all dreaming in REM and non-REM. So, you know, where these dreams occur, I, like these dreams of the deceased, I don't know. But most dreams that usually you would remember would be in REM just because they tend to be a little bit more emotional in nature. Mm-hmm. And that's usually when you wake up from sleep too, uh, if you don't set your alarm clock. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so in the research that you've done, can you share any like trends you found? Like, what do people tend to dream about when they're dreaming about a loved one? Like, any just anything interesting from your research that um, you found? Yeah, actually, I should say too after trauma. So dreams in general, mm-hmm. just like the most, as you could probably know, most dreams people would have on average is actually negative in nature. And that's just the, the reason that we're, a lot of us are going to bed anxious and stressed. And you even see now in the pandemic, a lot of people are having nightmares and negative dreams because of the increased stress in their life. But after trauma, what's interesting is they become even more negative and more consistently negative. And you'll have a lot of repeated nightmares you know, with that. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about these grief dreams or these dreams of the deceased, you would expect something very similar to that, where you have a lot of negative dreams of the deceased. But the crazy thing is like what I'm, what I'm finding a lot of different studies from not only like human loss of pet loss and also even miscarriages that majority of dreams tend to be positive. 
when the deceased is in the imagery and like by a crazy amount like if you look at just you know what people rate about 90 percent of the time they'll say they had at least you know one positive dream of the deceased and maybe around 30 percent one negative dream but those who have a negative dream like 90 some percent tend to also have a positive dream and so what the theory is there is that in the beginning people probably have more negative dreams but as they work through some of their griefs and some of their, their blocks in their life that those dreams will then turn into something more positive in nature mm -hmm. and so that was a really big thing for us and also the how i guess common these are is the best way to put mm -hmm. it like i had mine and you know some other people had theirs but i thought it was gonna be more rare just because no one talked about it there's no training in any kind of thanatology program uh, or any kind of counseling program when it comes to the how to help the bereaved. And so I was like, oh, it's probably rare, maybe 20% or something. What we found was actually insane. So after spousal loss within the first year or two, 86% of people had a dream of the deceased. After pet loss, it was 78%. And after a miscarriage, it was 58%. And that's like, that's so huge. It's like almost wow. like so many people. And then there was a study that was done on after with children after a parent died, and they found 55% of those children at the one camp they're at had a dream of the deceased and so that's a, a large number of people are experiencing these dreams but yet we just didn't still didn't, didn't know really much about you know how to approach them and, and what they're doing like what their function is mm -hmm. and so what have you found in your research of the function of these dreams <laughs> well they can process trauma which is interesting. Yeah. So you'll see that after people, even with PTSD it's, or any other traumatic event, they could relive the trauma. So if the, if they saw the person die or they found them dead, they'll repeat that scene over and over again. Mm -hmm. And so here, like the theory there is that the mind's trying to process the memory of that. And that's mm -hmm. why like, you'll see those people also with trauma will have a lot of intrusive thoughts of the death of seeing it. Mm -hmm. But what's also interesting is that you also see these dreams within trauma, where it's processing the emotions. So that'd be like the hopelessness that they may have feel. So that would be like, let's say they're trapped, maybe in like quicksand and they can't help them in some way, uh, or they can't get to them when they need mm -hmm. to rescue them and they can't. Or, or there's the other one where it's, they're dying again, but in a way that they never ha actually happened in waking life. And so the theory there is that the mind is trying to work through some of those memories and, and problem solve and, and incorporate into your life a little differently. And that's why the those dreams are a little different than the actual dreams that are almost identical to how the person was found or, or the trauma that they did suffer. So, mm -hmm. so basically, you know, trying to recover from trauma is, is one of those and process that. The other things is emotion regulation. So this is really interesting in the sense that that's what happened with me, as you know. So like, I was like, just, you know, I guess you'd say depressed or just in this great world, had the dream, I was able to feel joy again, but I also could feel sadness. So it helped regulate my emotions and I was sort of stuck. And so it really helped do that. And so most people, especially even if you're not like, let's say in that gray, but you're just feeling the sadness and the heaviness mm -hmm. of it, people can have these dreams and it raises and it helps people feel joy and happiness and love again which is, you know, one of the things that they miss the most. And so that helps with that. Other people who maybe are avoiding their grief may have one of these dreams and even one, maybe a negative dream that can induce some of the sadness. So a lot of times, you know, the mind's really good at 
tricking us and thinking that we've actually dealt with something, but really we just, you know, avoided it and pushed it under the rug <laughs> without realizing it. So yeah. these dreams, these dreams can actually help get some of those emotions back and to help you focus on that the reality that the death is real and you haven't dealt with some of those emotions yet. And then the third thing is when it comes to grief work. So they can be one of our best therapists in many ways. And so it can really help us with problem solving. Like if someone died of suicide, they could answer the question as to why they could, the deceased could ask for forgiveness, a lot of things on that end. When it comes to other things of just telling you that you're still loved is a big one or saying that they're okay in the afterlife. If someone who's spiritual may have that type of dream. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, maintaining a continuing bond. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's one of the big things that, we found in, in grief that, you know, maintaining a continuing bond can be very helpful for something to process their loss. And so what mm -hmm. a continuing bond is, is just, you know, maintaining a relationship with the deceased and in whatever form that would be, as long as you know, like the body has died, it's just whatever that relationship is. And if you're spiritual, that may be, you know, they're in the afterlife or you can talk to them, or maybe you see butterflies or coins. If you're not spiritual, it could be they're just going to the gravesite could be looking at photos or just remembering old memories, stuff like that. And so like, those are different, you know, ways to have the continuing bond. And so like it, it helps. So these dreams are tending to sort of help people work through the process of their grief and mm -hmm. help them as they sort of trying to get back to a new, new way of, of living. Mm -hmm. I would love to talk a little bit more about the continuing bond piece and specifically how your attachment style, because I'm very into attachment styles, impacts grief and grief dreams and that continuing bond. So anything that you can share with the audience about that, I'd be very interested to hear about. Yeah. So when you look at continuing bonds, a lot of times we just say that word and people are like, yeah, yeah, okay. And they sort of have an understanding based on what they do. Mm -hmm. But there's actually different types of continuing bonds. And just in my research, I did four different studies on it to really look at it. Mm -hmm. And I want to say before we go there, that continuing bonds, some of the theory back based on history. So the theory was in the beginning. So when mm -hmm. Freud was around and people started talking about grief a little bit, that maintaining a continuing bond with the deceased was a grief specific coping mechanism that avoided facing the loss. And so they thought that by doing that, it actually hindered you within your healing journey. Mm -hmm. So that's why you can look back and see, no, that's why no one talked about their grief because, or no one had photos of them because that was a sign that you weren't healing, right? Now we know through research that that isn't true. <laughs> <laughs> and so the theory now is that these continuing bonds can be very helpful and adaptive in you know, reworking your relationship with the deceased. So as long as you know they're dead, you're not avoiding the death, mm -hmm. but it can help you process the loss. And so there's a lot of research on that. But the, the biggest issue when it comes to it is that, you know, grief, and this might be a little too technical, I'm not sure if I'm going too far, but <laughs> grief is related to these continuing bonds. And they didn't really know, is it that when you're grieving, you turn to continuing bonds for comfort? Or is it when you're doing continuing bonds, your grief increases? Like no one really knew that. And we're still trying to figure that out. Mm -hmm. And so that's why there's always, there's still a controversy in the area on that ground. And I think it's probably a little bit of both. Just in my own research, when I looked at 
welcome to attachment. So when we looked at a different form of attachment style, like avoidant attachment style, so that's when you sort of suppress your emotions, you don't trust others, or you have a negative view of the world kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So for them, what was interesting is that if they did like a continuing bond, like let's say looking at photographs or you know talking about their deceased loved one, their grief, it seems to be, they increased their grief because it's something they're not normally doing. And mm-hmm. so that could be problem solving for them. So that may not be the best way to approach that individual in processing their grief because it could, you know, so it, it makes increase their grief to a place where they're they're very uncomfortable is the best way to put it. But for someone who has an anxious attachment style or secure attachment style, that's not an issue for them. And yeah. so that seems to be very beneficial on them in that run. So when we look at continuing bonds, <laughs> okay, so let's go back to continuing bonds. So there's actually two different types. So there's these internalized continuing bonds. Mm-hmm. And what this is, is these are the ones we mostly talk about. So this is about, you know, going to the gravesite or talking about them, looking at photographs. They're very deliberate actions to maintaining that bond. And they tend to be very comforting in some ways. So that would be like, if you're looking at a photograph, you're looking at usually positive memories that you've had together, or you're thinking of positive memories you've had with the deceased. The other one is, is called externalized continuing bonds. And so mm-hmm. these are more intrusive in nature. So these would be like the hallucinations feeling them take touch you or they're the other thing is with some people they'll have these bonds where the deceased is chastising them or they're chastising the deceased so it has this like negative quality also to it so it's not that positive loving memory now you're just angry at them or they're angry at you that kind of thing Mm -hmm. and so when you actually look at what predicts those two you actually see they're actually very different. Grief, just like normal grief, predicts those internalized continuing bonds. So looking at photographs. Trauma is predicts these externalized continuing bonds. And which is interesting because, you know, you just, you get the hallucinations and you also have the, the negative mm-hmm. um, back and forth talk. And you see that also with, you know, with some of these distressing dreams that people have, it's tied to also trauma too. So, you know, trauma is a big, big flag there. But also attachment style is a big one. And attachment style is just like, uh, reflects your inner working models of understanding yourself and others. And so we talked about that avoidance on how you're, it's a, you have a negative view of the, of the world. So there's the anxious individuals who have a negative view of themselves. And then if someone who's secure, they're good. <laughs> they're just good. <laughs> they love everyone. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they, they trust others and they have a positive view of themselves. Yeah, and for listeners, just to interject, there's a great book about attachment style, and it talks mostly about romantic relationships, but it's called Attached, and it's very interesting. So if you want to just learn more about these, you can head over and check that book out. Go ahead. Yeah, Sorry, and, and we can we can have different attachment styles to different people, but in general, there's tends to be sort of like a, a common, I guess, average that you'd have. Mm-hmm. And so when I looked at my stuff, it was the attachment style to the deceased specifically. And so when you look at the continuing bonds, what's interesting is those who have a more secure attachment style are going towards these more internalized continuing bonds, but also more specifically, those individuals who aren't avoidant in nature, which makes sense. So, and if someone's avoidant, have an avoidant attachment style, they're not going to do a deliberate action to try to work through their grief and remember the loved one. 
Mm-hmm. What they're going to do is they're going to suppress their emotions. That's the tendency. That's what they use to survive throughout this time. And so that's what they do here. But what's interesting is when you look at these externalized, so these hallucinations and negative platoon bonds, what you find is what predicts them is high avoidant attachment. And so those individuals that are suppressing their emotions are having these hallucinations or these negative bonds. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, when you look at that, we still need to, you know, do more research, but one of the theories is it could be that when you're suppressing your emotions, one possibility is that the mind is projects sort of the deceased or those feelings to try to get you to acknowledge what has happened, that the individual has died and to sort of try to get the person to shift to more of a deliberate kind of rumination. And so that is one possibility of that. You know, there are, you know, some people have spiritual possibilities and that's fine. Like we didn't find hundred percent variance in the sense of, you know, what happens there. We found about, you know, with those variables we put in around 45, which is, you know, it's pretty huge, like almost 50%. Yeah. The variance is really about attachment and about trauma. So either way, I think, you know, it's a red flag for any kind of clinician as they move forward with that. And, you know, but what's asked, absolutely interesting is as we move forward so the other thing in my studies i looked at post-traumatic growth and so when we look at that one of the ways people have tried to figure out if something is beneficial for someone after trauma is did they grow from the experience and so people might have heard about that you know in their everyday passing and they probably experienced it after loss in some way and so, yeah, that's what post-traumatic growth is. It's just like you're growing from that traumatic event in a way you wouldn't have in ordinary experiences that you've had, right? Everyday experiences. And so what we found was there that the internalized continuing bonds were related to the post-traumatic growth, but also the externalized continuing bonds were also related to post-traumatic growth. And so when you actually look at it, there's a couple of things that are going on there. But one is that when those bonds are comforting. So some people will have a hallucination that's be comforting for them in, in some ways. And that actually helps with the promotion of the post-traumatic growth. And so it's very interesting that, you know, despite the fact that it is based on trauma, but it seems like the mind is trying to work through something mm-hmm. to allow you to grow from this experience. And I think that in the end of the day, there's, there's a lot of research we still need to do it's still a fairly you know new concept especially the two different types but there's a lot of promise that you know the mind or the our experiences aren't random like there is something that's drawing them out and for us to work with it so you're not going to be able to work with everyone the same way and people with different attachment styles after after loss you're going to have to work with them differently and i just should state just when we talk about grief in general mm-hmm. that if you look at who goes to support groups People who have an avoidant attachment style will not approach a support group. Why would they? They're suppressing their emotions. So they tend to have actually the the lower forms of grief. But those who are secure or anxious will will more likely go to a support group. Mm -hmm. I was really fascinated. I thought like everyone would have gone to a support group because I went to support groups and like (laughs) super into it, whatever, and found some of them to be helpful. Some of them were not. But I did a poll on the podcast Instagram and no one had been to a support mm-hmm. group of the people who answered, which I thought was kind of nuts. Sorry, that's just like an aside. Um, but men tend not to go to support groups either. <laughs> many, many different reasons, just seeking help, I think. 
But yeah, when you just look at who who seeks out help and you know people who have an anxious attachment style tend to be those who are grieving the hardest after loss also, mm-hmm. just because they have a negative view of himself. And so they fear, of, they have a huge fear of abandonment. And so when the death happens, it's just, you know, their body goes into overdrive. And so yeah. it's just really interesting to see how our attachment styles, how we're raised. And, you know, you can work on your attachment style in therapy. It's not like, you know, set, but it's just understanding that how we're raised and how we cope through the world and how we see ourselves really affects a lot of how we process the world as we move forward. And, you know, like everyone needs to understand that there are these differences, and especially in grief. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. To kind of take a step back, when you are doing this research on dreams specific to grief, do you work with people to talk through their dreams? And like, do you know, like what certain things mean in dreams? Like how do you just focus on research or like, do you also apply this to work with people, clients, patients, whatever? Yeah. So really at first I was just collecting the dreams and and Mm -hmm. doing the research, but as you talk and you do talks, and so I do a podcast. I'm almost at 200 episodes. So that's like 200 wow. people <laughs> we've like talked to. Oh my God. It's hard not to see and talk about these dreams and like what it means to them and what it could represent in waking life. And so, yeah, so it's a little bit of both in the sense of like my understanding of these dreams. And so when it comes to these negative dreams, that's the easiest to understand. You know, the sad thing is for a lot of people that some may have these negative dreams and because they're spiritual they think the person's haunting them in some way mm. i think that's so sad because they a lot of times they're very loving and so it complicates the individual's bereavement process in many ways and so you know what you can sort of see through it a lot of times is what they're working through so i'll give you an example from a, i'll do from a, a widow and so she lost her husband and she had this dream that was repeated over and over again of her husband coming back and saying that, you know, he lied, he wasn't dead. He was just, you know, hiding out. And now he came back to be together. And she's like, well, I'm with someone else. We can't be together. And then he's like, well, uh, the real reason I came is because I want all the money that you inherited from my, my death. And then I'll leave you alone. And then she said, you know, how could you be such a mean and heartless person to do something like that to me? And then he started to chase her and tried to harm her. And so oh she God. was, yeah, right? Like it's how, think about you're grieving and then you're having these dreams. So she thought it was a haunting. She's like, why is he so mad at me? Like, and so, you know, you look at that and you're like, what actually is going on? Because I don't believe that that was a negative spirit just because of the research I've done and how it ties into trauma in many ways. And there's a lot of clues in our dreams on what we're trying to deal with. And so mm-hmm. when I looked at that, you, there's two things going on. First is this being in a relationship again, but she can't. And so that is true. She is in a new relationship. And I, I can't imagine how difficult that is for any individual who had someone that they love die and then try to start a new relationship. And so you're trying to love two people at the same time, which our culture, it's not something that's commonly done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I can see that being very difficult for a person to try to work through on And also when you're with the other person, how comfortable are they in even bringing up your your other love that died? Some people would say no, like keep their pictures off the mantle and other people would say yes. So I can see it being very difficult. But the other thing that she said that you see in the dreams is the money, like he wants all this money. And so when you ask her, what is that about? What's the money about? Like, is that causing you stress in any way? The individual sort of responded with, 
that out of all the things that happened after her loss, that's been the most difficult to wrap her head around. She felt it was so, there's so much injustice in her having the money because he worked so hard for it and she's the one that gets to enjoy it. And to mm -hmm. complicate things, she's also enjoying it, the money with that new partner, right? So yeah. you can see there's a huge block there and that's what the mind I feel is really trying to help the individual work through to just sort of say, hey, like we have to work on this. You know, yeah, you're dating, that's great, but we, you haven't worked through the lost stuff and what's going on here. And so that's just one example, you know, and kids like and children can have these types of negative dreams too. So there's a lot of clues within there and I help a lot of people when it comes to that. And that's why I started the one-on-one the -on -one grief dream consulting business to really give people the time of day to be able to help them sleep better really and to have a different perspective on these negative dreams. Positive dreams, people just love to share. And I think that's the, the beauty of where I'm sitting is that most of the dreams people are having said are, are positive in nature. And so that in itself, I get to hear so much wisdom from mm -hmm. these dreams and so there's so much love. Like when you talk about a common theme, love's like the biggest theme in the world. Like even that dream with my dad so there's this peacefulness about him, but just the environment itself, even beyond him, there's this love and this peace that I don't think I've ever experienced before, like, mm -hmm. especially in a dream, but in waking life too, there's just something different about that. And I wonder too, if that helps us uh, to process some of the stuff too, as we move forward. But yet the deceased showering us in many ways with love is, is such a common theme. And so when I look at that, like, why is that? And, I, and you sort of realize that's the one thing for a lot of people, grief really brings to the forefront. And, you know, like when someone dies, animal or, or human, they tend, we, they tend to have, you gave us love in many ways. And it's so hard in our waking life to feel good about who we are and to feel that we're loved. We're so critical of ourselves and these people around us help support us to be able to make it through life. Life is so difficult. And the pandemic is not making it any easier with mm -hmm. the isolation and loneliness. And so when someone dies, it's taken away one of your support systems. And, you know, what does that do for you? How do you cope and how do you heal? And some of these dreams really provide that in, a, in that way to remind people that they're still loved, remind them that love is still exists within them. And it's so amazing how these dreams can transform people. I've seen people who are addicts or were going to kill themselves. And they had this dream that completely shifted everything and they were okay. And I think that's just the phenomenal nature of some of these dreams, how mm -hmm. they can really change people and help people make it through. To, and, and I've seen these stories with people who are spiritual and also people who aren't. So being spiritual isn't the thing to, to get one of these like powerful dreams. Like everyone around the world are having these in some way. And I do want to mention, because we kind of skipped over it, but uh, one of the main questions that I got that made me want to do the PhD, well, just do the research in general, was the people in the groups, people kept having issues with not remembering their dreams of the deceased and they got jealous or they would say that he's not visiting me because he's mad at me or he didn't make it to the afterlife, he's stuck somewhere. So there's a lot of like these negative theories on why they weren't having it. So I wanted to sort of find a scientific explanation on why they didn't have these dreams. And so I replicated the research and what I found was dream recall it was, a, was the most important factor over any other factor like grief, attachment, spirituality, you know, yeah. age, whatever, right? And so what it's saying is that 
those individuals who remember their dreams more often are going to remember one of these types of dreams more often. And so it seems that, you know, I would say that people are dreaming of the deceased more than they're actually remembering it. And this is where your question about, you know, dream recall and how do we, can we increase dream recall? Because if we do, we probably have a better idea to catch some of these dreams and you yeah. can. And okay. so, yeah, you definitely so tell can. us how to do that though, because, and I want to just like say, I think it's really um, interesting what you said about like the spirituality and like, what well, why aren't they coming to visit me? Cause I remember kind of early on one of my really good friends who knew my dad was like, oh, I had a dream about your dad. He came to visit me and he held my hand. And I was like, what the hell? I haven't had a dream about him yet. And I was pissed. I was like, is he visiting her? Like, why is he visiting me? Like, what is going on? So I'm very interested in the dream recall situation because that's, as I mentioned earlier, something that like I normally do not remember my dreams. So yeah. any tips you have? And so I would probably say you probably had dreams, just didn't remember them. And right. this is really the interesting thing about the topic is, you know, when you have one of these dreams, do you share it with other people? A lot of people don't. I think that's the, the sad thing about it is that a lot of people do keep them hidden because they're afraid that the other person won't have had the experience. They don't want to make them jealous or upset. And so this is why I think there's this, this secrecy around it just because mm -hmm. of that. But yes, when we look at dream recall, the... The things to be able to do to increase that is to really value your dreams, like all dreams, not just these types of dreams. Because when you you understand in our culture, we don't talk about dreams. We don't teach people about their importance. The first time I learned about dreams was in fourth year university. Mm -hmm. So, and now just, there's one course on, or one section within the sleep course. And it's like a 12 week course. And it's like one day on that. And so that's the sleep course. Most people don't take a sleep course, so they'll never actually hear anything about dream research. So if you don't hear it, you just don't think it's important. But research has found that actually all you have to do is, you know, basically think about it, talk about it, listen to people's their dreams. And one of the great exercises you can do every morning to tell your train yourself to value dreams is to write them down. And that's where the dream journal comes in. So whatever kind of dream that you have, just write it down. And because as you serve and a lot of people know that if you wake up too fast and you don't write things down, by the time you brush your teeth or eat your cereal, or whatever, the dream's gone. You can't mm -hmm. recall it. It's encoded somewhere in your mind. You just can't re recall it. And so writing it down allows you to then look at it. And then you may see some patterns as you move forward too to make it even more valuable for you because you'll start learning from your dreams of who you are. And I think that's what I love about these dreams the most is that they can be like your best friend it basically telling you the, the truth, you know, more or less when mm -hmm. we don't know what the truth is. And so they're blatantly honest. So if you're having a negative dream of some sort, well, where does that feeling lie in waking life? And that's how you can tie the two together and try to see like, oh, I, I'm still processing that. What haven't I let go of? What haven't I digested? Is it still a part of who I am? And usually it is. Like it's just a lot of times we just avoid stuff rather than actually deal and sit with stuff. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, these dreams are, can be very beneficial in that way. So yeah, those, that's the biggest way to increase those dreams. But I should mention if people are grieving, you're probably going to have more negative dreams in general because you're in a distressing state. And it's not something to be afraid of, just understand that. And to be able to just be paired and understand that it represents just you know, what you're going through. And it could offer some clues into maybe, you know, what to talk about if you are 
in a group or one-on-one -on -one therapy. Mm -hmm. Wonderful advice. This conversation has been so interesting. Thank you so much. So if you can tell everyone about where to find you online and if they want to hear more from you and thank you so much. Sure. Well, thank you for having me. I always appreciate the time to be able to share some of the knowledge and disseminate, you know, like the information, like one of the issues with any kind of research or any kind of researcher is that no one knows about their work. <laughs> like, yeah. sit there. And right. like, I don't, I never wanted to be a researcher, but like, I do love being able to talk about this stuff and increasing awareness. So I just want to thank you for the platform to be able to do that. So if people want to learn more about grief dreams, they can go to my website, griefdreams.ca. On there, you can find common questions answered, all my social media handles. So on Instagram, Twitter, where else am I? Clubhouse, at Grief Dreams. Then there's two clubs on Clubhouse you can go to, which is Grief Dreams, and another one's called Grief Cafe. Also, mm -hmm. I have a online course on Grief Dreams. So it's nine and a half hours. If you want to know more information, this was what, 40 minutes? <laughs> so yeah. if you want another nine hours of information on the topic, uh, that's the place to go and to learn more. And then I do one-on-one -on -one grief dream consulting, like I said. So if you're having issues with these dreams or your kids' dreams or whatever, like this is a place where you can actually get some information to help them out. Also the Grief Dreams podcast, sorry. Yeah, so if you oh, want yeah. to hear, hear more stories of uh, these dreams, that's the place to go. Amazing. All right. Thank you so much, Joshua or Dr. Black. What? I don't know. Both. Thank you. Thank you everyone for listening. You can find us online at www.thegriefcoach.co on social at the underscore grief coach. And if you like this type of content, please write a nice review, nice reviews only on Apple podcasts. It helps other people looking for this type of content find it. Talk to you guys soon.